Here we go with Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the Sports Blog New York Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Joining me today, my NBA outsiders. Mix it up on them. Frank Villani, what's up, brother? How you doing? How we doing, Petey? I don't know How if we... we were you ready for that? I usually go to Duffy first, but I said mix it up I on him, Frank Villani. It, but I was ready. <laughs> and Duffy. Professional. John Lucas Duffy also joining NBA Outsiders Edition. What up, Duff? What to do, baby? What do you think it would take for us to get to the what up back level? What would we need to accomplish to get the what up Duff to that level where it's the most anticipated phrase in niche bo- uh, basketball podcasting? Man, I don't know. Like, what up back is just so iconic. Would we have to take them out? Would we have to get dirty? You might I have think to we get need dirty. to ask Zach Lowe. So. We just need to ask Zach Lowe? So yeah. my idea of like framing him for like a misdemeanor crime but get him off the podcast circuit is not a good one? Either one, honestly. Whatever gets This is a results-oriented business, man. Whatever gets the job done. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I'll think about it. I'll put a plan into play. I'll email you. We'll talk about it. But uh, anyways, <laughs> the NBA Outsiders are here to talk things NBA-related, of course, and a great weekend for us to meet up after. We're recording this Monday night, only a couple games on Monday night. Uh, but over the weekend, starting on Friday, perhaps two of the most anticipated and uh, high-drama, high-stakes games thus far in this NBA season took place, uh, both including the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Milwaukee Bucks, just to give you guys some context here, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have been running away with the best team in the league title so far this year, not to be dethroned by anybody. Yeah, they had their losses, but for a while they're on pace for 70 wins. They're now off that pace, but still on an outrageous 65-plus win pace. Um, But they took on the Lakers Friday night. The Lakers have been on their heels. A couple weird moments throughout the season, but really, really solid throughout, surprisingly for them. And then the Clippers, of course, the sleeping giant of sorts, who haven't been fully healthy, haven't quite got their shit together, but they took on the Lakers on Sunday. So, Duff, going into this weekend, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers. Lakers play both. Bucks and Clippers obviously play the Lakers once each. Who had the most to gain or most to lose here? And uh, what did you expect before you even go into what took place? But what were you looking for going into this weekend? I think the most to gain was probably the Bucks. Because people like me didn't necessarily take them as seriously as their record suggested that I should. So they ended up losing. Giannis has a good game. But I was actually thinking of you in the fourth quarter, Pete. Because at the end of that game, Giannis looked tired. He looked winded. He played 36 minutes. He got to about the 30-minute mark that he had played. And you could see him huffing the puff. He, you could see he had made 10 straight free throws down the stretch. He had missed three. And he shot 11-14 from the foul line. Like, you take that from him every single day of the week, twice on Sunday. But down the stretch, it showed that he was not 100% in the best uh, condition. So, to me, the Bucks had the most to gain, I think, the Lakers I obviously had the most to lose. Like they go 0 and 2 there and they're really questioning like why didn't they make trades? Why didn't they try to move Kuzma? Why didn't, you know, this that and the third. But I they answered the uh the answer to the bell. 
and I'm really impressed with LeBron James, and I still think the Lakers are the right now the best team and definitely the most fun team to watch. Um, so you went with the Bucks. Yeah, it's most to gain. Lakers most to lose. Clippers, they're like ten and one when the whole team is healthy. So I think this is still just like a, even though we're two thirds of the way through the season, there's still like small sample size, and I think they kind of mismanaged their shot distribution in the second half because Paul George had 27 points in the first half, he had four points in the second half. Why I don't. I don't know. I don't know why they would have done that. It was a lot of Montrezl close-ups that I would have rather gone to Paul George. Not that Harold did terribly, but you, you ride the hot hand. For sure. Um, so I'm going to slightly disagree, and I'm going to say the Lakers had the most to gain, just because it's another battle for L.A. facing uh, the Bucks. I believe, at Lakers, right? Yes, Lakers were home for both games. Yeah, so, I mean, LeBron put up 37. Um, and I know this is not incredibly relevant to everybody, but I watched uh, Space Jam over the weekend. I texted you guys on Netflix. And, like, a big sentiment in that movie is, like, the comeback, the Jordan comeback after he went to baseball. And um, LeBron never left. That's all I got to say. I did not expect LeBron you to go there yet. Uh, but yeah. I, it, it, it is really interesting because uh, Bill Simmons and Russillo are going through the, some LeBron stuff on their podcast I released on Monday about the minutes and how MJ had these like moments where like first he had to you know, get past Magic and, and even Bird for that matter and the Pistons and whatnot and really take control of the league. And then he went on his three-run, his three-peat run retired, played baseball, and had more motivation to come back uh, and, and win after you know his, their next three-peat. And then he retired again, and his minutes totaled, uh, regular season and playoffs combined, like is so much less than what LeBron has been through throughout his career at this point that it is really crazy to think about the level of accomplishment between those two. But LeBron never left, but he also had his own carrot dangling in front of him this entire time. First, it was you know, overcoming just being labeled the chosen one uh, at a high school and everybody in the league kind of coming at him and being like, you didn't earn nothing yet and like, you're not clutch and this and that. You can't get out of the East. You can't get to the finals. Whatever. He did that. Then he went to Miami. Then he was a villain. He did that. He went back to Cleveland, got them a ring. He did that. Now he's in the most storied franchise in NBA history, the Los Angeles Lakers. And now that's another carrot to even further cement his legacy. So like in a weird way, very, very different paths, but they've always all had this carrot in front of them. And Jordan didn't probably even need a carrot. His carrot was himself, but he kept inventing carrots, right? Like LeBron's have been more legitimate. Yeah. MJ was like magic beat me in cards the other night. I'm going to whoop his ass. Like (laughs) he would just imagine shit. Like he would pull headlines from random beat reporters and he'd just be like, Oh, Fuck that guy. Like, I have to go drop 40 on the Nuggets tonight because of Joe Blow in Denver. And the Denver. Like, LeBron is just like, all right, get up, questioning him. First take, Colin Cowherd, around the horn, PTI. Like, it's around the clock, the scrutiny that play, not just LeBron, players in general. And uh, LeBron has been at the forefront of most of that throughout his career. 
And I think it's a testament to how good he is that people just always talk about him and gets ratings. Yeah, I mean, he he has like carried this league through better of parts of two decades now and who knows how far he can go into this third decade like he's 35 and we're about to have a conversation about a a LeBron-led team and their chances to win the finals and a LeBron MVP case that may or may not exist yet but many people are starting to make it we'll talk about that more specifically in a minute but he's 35 he is entering a realm of minutes played where only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Karl Malone have gone that's insane. Like, those guys were, they played longer than anybody. That's why they're the leading scorers of all time. They have more points than almost anybody ever who to play this freaking game. And, and, and what's you, what'd you say? Nothing but compilers. Yeah, well, n- nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, Kareem was a compiler. He <laughs> won six kidding, MVPs. No, of course. But, uh, like, it is pretty wild Not that enough. we're about to have a conversation about a LeBron-led team and a LeBron MVP case when he's 35 and when it comes down to it, we just saw it this weekend. I actually agree with Frank. I didn't give my answer yet. I think the Lakers had the most of the game because they had a chance to beat the two biggest contenders to their throne or the throne that they want, and they beat both of them. And you can say Giannis was hurt. Maybe he was banged up before, and that's why he's missing a couple of games. Oh, the Clippers are this or that. But the Lakers are hitting their stride right now, and they're, LeBron is playing better than he has since that last year in Cleveland in like that playoff run where he was just doing whatever the hell he wanted to get them W's. And so like, that's it, it's just it's absolutely wild. So, Frank, I don't know what made you go there with your response and t- thinking about LeBron and that, that grand scheme, but it brought me here. So thank you, I guess. But that was, like, yeah, it, it no, really is crazy. Sure. I just wanted to, like, I don't know, keep parlaying it because I know we want to kind of talk a little, maybe a, for a second, finals kind of shit. And I know preseason I said Sixers my team that was just like you know the prediction i predicted sixers versus Clippers. but after seeing lebron locked in like that this weekend like that's finals lebron he's here he's letting everybody know like i'm on notice i'll tell you that yeah so how would you guys rank these teams now as it currently stands these three teams i think previously i had clippers lakers bucks Pete, I think, had the Bucks won. Frank might also. Do you remember, Frank, last time we did this, what you had first? I think I had the Clippers first. Okay. And so what do you, what do you, where do you have now, Frank? I think I would put the Lakers first. I mean, if you have this version of LeBron, just like uh, no one's stopping it. It's like Mark Jackson always says this, and it like it's become cliche, but it's really true. He's the queen on the chessboard. Where yeah. he can just manipulate anything. He's more options than anyone to shoot, score, pass, defend when he was really locked in about it, even the best player on the other team. And when he posts up this season, I heard this stat a while ago. Oh, so yeah. I th- a I couple this. weeks ago, I still think it's probably, it's at least close to true. When he posts up, just at any point in the possession after that, no matter what happens, whether he scores, direct pass scores, any other pass around the court, they score 1.4 points per possession. So what does that mean? <laughs> so per 100 possessions, which is, you know, pretty, like, it's pretty much what an NBA game is. You know, if you get, like, 90 shots, 10 turnovers, it might be a little more, might be a little less, depending on the pace of the game. But it's pretty true to 
just the standard. So they're scoring 140 points per 100 possessions when he posts up. Insane. Which is just absurd. It's insane. It's it just, honestly just doesn't I, make any sense. I believe like it, it, there's, you can't really compare it to any other most efficient possession that any other player or team could have. Do you remember the? Um, I don't remember who it was, but whoever was second in that category was like a one point one or yes. something like that, right? And w- when you look at a one point four and a like one point Bogdan Bogdanovich posts up like he or barely. Not, or oh, it might have been Boyan, it might have been Boyan, but it was like he hardly passed the minimum. Right, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yes, it was like at minimum twenty five post ups. I think he had like thirty. Yeah, something like that. But like one point one and one point four don't look like that big of a difference. But in that particular statistic, like that is a huge difference. Like that is the world of difference. Like it, it would almost look bit uh, different if LeBron was a one point and he was a point seven. It's the same like difference or the same space uh, between, but. It seems like a bigger difference. Like one point one still feels good. But like that is such a huge difference, and that's on a much more extreme quantity amount. That it is truly absurd. And yeah, and again, LeBron has had like oh, like ten times more posts up than right. Bojan Bogdanovic over the course of the season. The question becomes: When you start talking about these teams, obviously you can talk LeBron versus Giannis. Uh, LeBron and AD versus Giannis and Middleton, or LeBron and AD versus Kawhi and Paul George, Kawhi versus LeBron, all these like little individual matchups that you can pick apart and whatnot. Uh, you do then get to that conversation of like, what second units or secondary pieces do you trust? What guy is going to be able to hit the big threes or make the big defensive plays or, you know, slow down Giannis or slow down Kawhi or et cetera, et cetera. And you look around these teams and you can kind of pick holes in in every team here but when you talk about a lebron led team he instantly can basically force people by setting them up in certain spots to do a job and we've seen him do it with many people people who we thought were untamable like jr smith he was able to get into advantageous spots and he does it seemingly with the lakers different guys every night there are times where danny green looks like the third most important player in that team Avery Bradley against the Clippers look like the third most important player. Um, Kuzma can look like it. Uh, Rondo can look like it. Caruso can look like it. McGee can look like it. And that is all a testament to what LeBron can do manipulating a defense uh, and and move the ball. He leads the league in assists as well. Like you have to, like you got to even say that out loud. But he leads the league in assists. This power forward point guard extraordinaire who seemingly is still unstoppable at age thirty five. The and the way you're going to beat the Lakers, you can't play the game that they want to play. So they want to kind of slow the game down. They want to funnel the ball to LeBron, funnel it to Anthony Davis. Like LeBron posts up and like, here's the thing. If you just let him post and then you take possessions where he posts up or if the next shot is one pass away, I think they're still scoring. It's either 1.1 or 1.2 points per possession. So still extremely efficient. So if you double him in the post, you're then unlocking his best skill, which is his passing. And when you have guys like Avery Bradley, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who I have been like a, a big-time hater for the past few years, ever since he's been on the Lakers, Pete, you and I actually liked him on the Pistons. As soon as he went to the Lakers, it's been downhill. Oh, it's been this so bad. This season, he has been extremely productive. 
Yeah, really bad start, but can wait. Cantavius Caldwell Pope is that indie band that has one really good song, and you hope that they're gonna like turn that song into a dope album. They never do. Instead, that <laughs> song just gets overplayed. Yeah, but every once in a while, every like three years or so, they come out with another good song. We're like, all right, I knew I kind of liked them, but like they still they ain't they ain't it. They don't get the album saved to the Spotify. You just add one of their songs to a playlist. He brought it back around, man. <laughs> Frank, did you like you that, that analogy? You shoot 40% like that. from three this year. <laughs> a lot of artists like that, Pete. Yeah, for real. <laughs> he shouldn't, so LeBron is empowering all these guys. So basically their recipe for success, Anthony Davis got to get like 30. LeBron's got to get like 30. And then they got to hope someone else, just anyone else from that group can get close to 20. And then it's just kind of scoring by committee. It just, hopefully everyone hits like two of four you know, two of five threes, like whoever gets the opportunities. Like in, when they beat the Clippers, Danny Green had zero points. And they were able to survive something. Like he had zero. Markeith Morris had four. JaVale McGee had five. Dwight Howard had zero. Kyle Kuzma had eight. Rondo had four. Contavious Cole Pope had nine. Caruso had zero. Like that sounds terrible. But somehow Avery Bradley had 24 points. And it's yeah. six for 12 from three. Like, he got 12 shots. That's how desperate they are. Just have any random third guy just step up in any particular game. And if the Clippers are getting good shots from three, like they were for the most part against the Lakers. Lakers did a good job of running them off the three-point line, which is the other part of this we're not talking about is how good their defense have been. If, if the Clippers or the Bucks, especially, who were killers from three, shoot, 18% the Bucks did from three, or the Clippers shot 22% from three. Like the, the Clippers or the Lakers were really just trying to run those teams off the three point line, and that was their recipe for success. Like the Lakers didn't shoot well from three against the Clippers, they shot 28, almost 29%. And then against the Bucks, they shot 28% again. And but they've won both games by double digit. I don't know how you can shoot under 30% from three and then still win by 10 points. I mean, it, uh, the free throws, right? And there's the inside game. We talk about this a lot on this podcast, actually. I'm pretty proud of us for talking about this with, when it comes down to the new age and the math and the threes and the free throws and the and the shots at the rim. Like, I think we're, we do a good job, pat ourselves on the back here for, like, understanding that stuff and knowing that it's important and, like, a long two with 16 seconds on the shot clock more often than not is not a good shot, right? Like, we understand that concept, but we also do really value and we talked about it recently with Jason Tatum like those guys who can get shots that aren't threes my computer has been doing this for three weeks on the podcast right now with the so <laughs> like dude oh my god my computer wants to update right it says remind me in and it says 10 minutes I switched the 10 minutes to four hours and then four hours no, not four hours. Like 10 minutes later or 20 minutes later, it goes off again anyway. It's like my computer is just flipping me off mid-podcast. I'm neglecting your computer. So I've, I've tried to update it too, and it didn't even update. I'm just, you know what? You know what? Oh, my gosh. Mid-range jump shots are the future. Heck, these new computers <laughs> and all your, your apps and your gizmos. Sheesh. Anyways, I was saying we do a good job at like understanding the signature shot and understanding how valuable it is for Anthony Davis to work in that painted area and get floaters and get easy layups and dunks. Because, like, the three, the three, the three, the three, it, it, this is more and more cliche 
but live by the three, die by the three is a thing people said for a long time. And we wanted to put that to rest. And for some teams, we can. The Lakers are maybe that type of team that they don't have to depend on all three balls to win games. Like the Rockets are saying, yeah, we're going to live or die by this. If we don't make shots, we're probably screwed, right? If you're a team like the Clippers or like the Bucks, like with Giannis, or even like the Nuggets with Jokic, you can get those other shots and those other opportunities. They open up more. They make more um, opportunities for your teammates, and it becomes super-duper important. So maybe taking one of those shots like Chris Paul would take at the elbow, which he's super efficient on, may not be the best shot in the moment, but if it could help open up other things, like all these things come together, and seemingly the Lakers are handling that very, very well. Like you said, Duff, if you could win a game shooting that poorly, you're doing a lot of other things right, and that is something maybe we didn't expect with the Lakers. It reminds me of something we talked about on this pod where I mentioned talking to a college coach, and he had told me, I you know, I was asking him just kind of like how the game's moving, everyone's going towards these, you know, like threes and layups, and how does it, has it affected your game at the Division three level? And he said, it, it definitely has. And I said, you know, do you think it'll stay like that? What do you think can happen? That no, I think it's going to actually shift back to more like big men, better post-ups and things like that. And I said, really, why, why do you think that? He's like, don't get me wrong. Right now, the players are definitely better. They're better than they've ever been. They're more um, versatile at every size. And they have a, like a better baseline understanding of what's kind of happening around them. But it's easier to coach. And I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, it's easier to coach against because you know where players are going to be spotting up. You know what to expect. If, if someone drives down the right side, you know the left side is going to be balanced this way. If you go down the left side, it's going to be balanced this way, especially in the NBA where they have that thing down to like the nearest inch of where on the floor these shooters should be spotting up because of where they're most comfortable or what's the most efficient shot. You know, you think corner three, you think stay below the break. Uh, you think, uh, and by that we mean like when it comes jets out from the corner line, goes straight before it starts to arc around the, the uh, top of the three point line. So when I watched the Lakers and I was watching, I've been watching a lot of Lakers uh, over the past month, like since right before the all-star break, they played against the nuggets. They had a couple games against the Pelicans that were, so much fun. Then, you know, the, the Sixers were on a West Coast trip, so they played against the Lakers. And then, obviously, this weekend with the Bucks and the Clippers. So I've been watching a lot of big games against good opponents for the Lakers. And I noticed that towards the end of games, they really lock in on defense. So, like, there's a ton of deflections. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, are they just getting used to the way these other teams are playing? Is it more predictable? And I, and I started to remember what this coach was telling me. I think they realized that, not that they're the only team who's done this, but I think through their personnel being so long with guys like Kuzma, KCP, LeBron, Anthony Davis, who's very underrated on defense, especially somehow. later in the season. Somehow. Early in the season, he was like a defensive player of the year candidate, and then people kind of forgot about him. I mean, defensive but, player of the year, sorry for the quick cutoff there, but like it's one of the funniest awards for me because it's the least quantifiable statistic we have still, even though some of the tracking stuff now is like way better and the plus-minus stuff is way better and deflections are important and whatever, all that stuff. It's still super unquantifiable, whatever. Uh, no, sure, sure, sure. And like we just kind of like pick and choose our storylines for 
like what's working and what's not for defensive player of the year. Like Rudy Gobert could easily be it again. Giannis could probably have been it last year, could be it this year. Anthony Davis could have been it like five times probably. Like any, any you know what I mean? Like it's so like rant. That is the most narrative driven reward. I yeah, think it always of. seems to go against big men or go to big men because yeah. and uh, they get blocked. We'll actually talk about them, awards so. and narratives in a minute, but continue, Duff. Yeah, yeah. So basically, the point I'm trying to get at with their versatile personnel, especially on the perimeter and with big men who have great mobility, they have more flexibility where they can switch, double switch, and then run doubles at people on, on random spots of the court. So not just when they're crossing half court, not just in the corner, not just in the post, but on the wings. So they'll run a double team and Kawhi when he's on the wing against the Clippers and oh actually no take it back they would do it against the Bucks against Giannis Giannis not a tremendous passer but he's huge so he can, has vision and he, he would just kind of take the next pass and the Lakers are so good on the weak side of the court whoever's one pass away from the ball is really great at denying that pass so that on the other side of the court like these guys are so big they can cover so much ground in such a small amount of time that when those cross court passes are coming there's so many deflections, breakaway layups, breakaway dunks. They disturb everything. And it, it worked against the Clippers too, except late in the game when the, the Clippers were totally out of rhythm. But there was a play where it was either Kawhi or Paul George was doubled on the wing like they had done against the Bucks, And someone finally from the weak side ducked into the middle to like force the weak, the weak side defender to make a decision. Where they just weren't expecting it, honestly, because like who flashes into like the mid-high post, especially if you're Jamichael Green, like they never expect that. Finally, he does it, and then they have like a a great high-low pass to Montrez Harrell for a dunk, like easy two points. So it'll be interesting. The Lakers are taking these gambles on defense to see if other teams are kind of adjusting to see like you need to have more traditional cuts towards the middle of the floor, even if it's in a low quote-unquote like low efficiency. Uh, spot on the floor. Yeah, and a quick numbers on that: the Lakers are twenty third in three point attempted uh, attempted per game, at thirty one and thirty one point three attempts per game. The Clippers are at thirty three, which is seventeenth, and the Bucks are fourth with thirty eight attempts per game. And just for reference point, the Rockets take forty four attempts per game. And uh, that's three more than the second place team with the Mavs at forty-one. So very interesting. The Bucks, though. when they played the Lakers, they got a forty-three attempts from three, and then no one shot the ball well except Brook Lopez. But he's so tough to bother because he's seven foot. Right. It's like Dante Givincenzo also had a great third quarter where he had he went three for seven, but he scored like fourteen points in the third quarter to kept them in the game. And that yeah, that's it's just very interesting to me because that new, you know, what people will call like the players or former players or coaches or certain uh, hosts of radio shows and whatnot will call like the math nerds or taking over, they're ruining stuff. And I don't agree with that at all because I am a, a big numbers guy and I do like to, to follow those numbers and see if they, you know, you know, make me check something out more closely in the next game I watch or I see something in a game, check the numbers. Oh, they, those add up. They make sense. Like, that's good. I like that. I'm very happy about that. But you look at the teams and three point attempted in the league. And if you look at the bottom, you have some really bad teams like the Knicks who have the second least amount of threes per game. But like the Pacers, the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Sixers are all in the bottom 10 in three points attempted per game. And I don't think it's really, you know, maybe the Sixers you can argue one way or the other with their struggles. But all those other teams, like, I don't think anybody's saying they should be jacking up more threes. Like their offense is definitely not the problem. So it is interesting how certain teams 
are zagging a little bit uh, when, in theory, in this math nerd theory, it's just threes, 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 but there are a lot of teams playing a different style of basketball. And in the playoffs, we say this over and over and over again, things get tightened up, uh, defenses get a little bit more tight, they contest more shots, they play harder. Those open threes become a little bit less open, and the Dante DiVincenzos of the world, the Jamichael Greens of the world, the Avery Bradleys of the world, don't get you know five open looks. They maybe get two and a half open looks. And can they still make you know their share of what five shots would get them? That is going to become a, a huge narrative, I think, in the next year or two. Especially if more and more people adapt to what the Rockets are doing, which people are trickling up in that direction. Like, where is the plateau? Does it exist, yeah. or is it going to keep going up? It's very interesting, and I think, like Duffy explained there, there's going to be more zagging than we expected, and it's starting to happen a little bit already. Yeah, I think another good point to bring up is just, like, I feel like that's a kind of across the sports spectrum in terms of, like, math nerds, quote-unquote, like you said. Like, baseball is all about launch angle and home runs right now, but, like, you look at last year's World Series – and the Nationals, I'm pretty sure, had, like, the most hits and, like, a low K rate, like, kind of traditional baseball numbers that guys liked. And when it comes down to the biggest series, you know, like, you can't always rely on guys hitting bombs because it is kind of boom or bust, just like the Rockets. Like, there is a world where they could probably go on a stretch in the playoffs. And Harden and Russell can both average 30 a game and they can look unbeatable. But more realistically, they'll probably have a couple of bad shooting nights. And if it happens on the same night, literally no chance. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's not just a basketball thing, it's across the spectrum, even football, right? Like, yeah, for sure. Football, too. With when the, it comes the pass to playoff heavies. time, it's about running running the ball and having, like, you know, beating guys up up front, whereas, like, regular season, guys like Lamar Jackson had 50 touchdowns, was running on everybody, but it changes. Yeah, and even, like, the really pass-happy teams in the NFL where they're, you know, slinging the ball 50 times a game, 40 times a game. You know, if you if you go a couple three and outs early in the game and your pass attack ain't getting you first downs, then you're like, oh, snap. Like, do we keep chucking or do we change it up? And, like, now you're not ready. And that this conversation actually leads is going to lead me to the Bucks conversation that I had uh, with you guys a week or two ago about playing those tight games. And I'm going to pound it again, and I think this obviously lends to my favor based off of when we're doing this podcast because the Bucks just lost to the Lakers. They haven't had a lot of moments this year. Can you realistically can you remember more than one moment where it was like the Bucks played a tight game and they snuck out on top and played a well fought game where there was late shots with thirty seconds left? There really aren't a lot of moments like that this year for the Bucks. And I know point differentials like one of the best indicators on you know championship winning teams and et cetera. But for me, you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I don't know if I see that with the Bucks. The Lakers make them uncomfortable. And it and it showed. The Lakers made the Clippers uncomfortable and it showed. So yeah. is that why we're now saying maybe the Lakers are on top of this race? Like is it is it fair off one weekend for all three of us to pretty much easily put the Lakers at the top? Yeah, I mean the other comparison I would make too like is is in past the Warriors. 
Like they would have these lackluster first halves, go into the third quarter, sometimes losing, sometimes tied, and then just like explode. And like sometimes they'd be up by twenty. By the time the fourth came around, they'd be up by twelve. We'd be like, all right, I kind of get that team can do it. But like like you said, the 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 Bucks are kind of wire to wire, and it's interesting to see because. When the Lakers were at the Bucks, it's the only game I thought of where they had, you know, close possessions, big shots, and yeah. Besides that, I don't remember much. I think it's 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 one weekend. I mean, I don't want to take too much away from the Bucks after this weekend. Um, I already had them third in the power ranking so like in my personal power ranking. so it, it really hasn't changed too much for me but i think this weekend is more about the lakers which is why i keep talking about them and like i said for the past month i've been watching them really closely um so that's that's pretty much what i got on those three teams i think the clippers say it too for me just because again like it's we're two-thirds of the way through the season but we're really only 11 games into the full strength clippers and yeah, they lost against the Lakers, but it, they're ten and one when they have their full team together. And Reggie Jackson has has and Marcus Morris have both proven to be like actually positive contributors. Like you, you hear people talk about buyout players and how they never really make a big impact, but I think Reggie Jackson is going to be important, especially when they get to playoff time because. The Lakers were just haunting Lou Williams on defense, just absolutely haunting him. And with these lazy pick and rolls from Avery Bradley and Contavious Caldwell Pope, and the Clippers were just happy to keep switching, which is kind of what the Warriors used to do against the Cavs in the finals when J.R. Smith would go set picks and they would just switch Curry onto LeBron. Like, if you're Kawhi Leonard, if you're Paul George, just fight through that. You have to fight through that because if you, you're going to get buried with Lou Williams guarding LeBron James possession after possession. Agreed. Yeah, it's tough. The Lou Williams thing is definitely becoming a thing. And, you know, on Twitter and Instagram, I've seen a lot of things over the past couple of weeks. Like, you know, get Jamal Crawford on a team, get Deion Waiters on a team, get J.R. Smith on a team. And I totally agree with the J.R. Smith thing. He should be on a team, in my opinion. But the Jamal Crawford thing is tough, and it reminds me of Lou Williams because Jamal Crawford, yeah, maybe he'll still get you a bucket and make it look real cool. He'll hit an open three. But he's going to get haunted as well on defense. And late in games and in the playoffs for these teams that only need, like they only need players who can play in the playoffs. At this point, the Clippers and Lakers aren't looking for 82-game fill-ins to just get minutes, to get to get innings in, to use a baseball analogy. Like they need players who are going to be able to play when it matters most. And Reggie Jackson, for example, is a guy who's now in the role he's always should have been in, right? Like I think we yeah. all knew when he left OKC, like, come on, dude. Like, we know this guy ain't, like, a real starting point guard. You know? And it was the same concept with Dennis Schroeder. The same thing happened with Dennis Schroeder, where he was on Atlanta. He was coming off the bench. He was killing it. He was actually better than Jeff Teague at certain points. He was fearless. He put the ball in the hoop, whatever. Then he became the leading point guard for this team. And it's like, damn, what can we do to get off this guy's contract? Like, we gave him too much money. He's not a leading guard. But now he's in that six-man role again. Uh, he's in the role playing with two other point guards where he's a six-man, and he could still close games. He could still do his thing, and he's so effective. He's been unbelievable this season. 
So some guys, and Reggie Jackson is that guy, are not lead guards. Not lead guards. Just like Goran Dragic right now on the Heat. Moved to the bench. Super effective still. Still a baller. But he's not going to be a lead guard to, to carry you to the promised land. He's just not. So the Reggie Jackson thing, as much as I've hated on him since he's been with Detroit, he's been not good. This is this is right for him. And will it work out? Maybe. Will he shoot you out of a game in the playoffs because he's too confident? Very likely. But like this is a place where he can succeed and do things where he should have like he should have been doing this his whole career. Yeah, he might shoot you out of a game, but he also has the confidence where if Kawhi is getting doubled and Reggie Jackson's the open man and you pass him the ball, like he will take that shot and believe he will make it. Will he make it? Who knows? Probably not. But he has the confidence to do it, which means he like I believe that matters. Especially I'm in those sure split second moments where he's just like hopefully not thinking about it. He just lets it fly. Like unconscious, like we talk about with J.R. Smith. Yeah, I think J.R. should be on a team, man. Come on now. Like the guy he guy plays defense too. Like JR was I would a rather re- have him than Deion Waiters. Oh, hundred percent. What, what happened there, you know? LeBron what likes happened? edibles. He <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. He went what? Uh, that's good. Uh, well, let, let's move on from this conversation now. So I think what we're all saying here is pretty much that we don't want to say one weekend changed everything, but this weekend was able to provide us with some data that we all kind of believed in already, right? We all wanted to say this Lakers team at their best no competitor can handle LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I think this weekend showed that that's true. You might be able to have a Kawhi and PG combo to slow down just LeBron, but then what are you going to do with AD and vice versa? And same thing for Giannis going against the the Lakers as well. But anyways, let's move on to this next conversation that has uh, some of the same players involved. We didn't talk about it much yet. Uh, We only passed through it, but the MVP race is becoming a thing again. And this time... Every year, over the past couple of years, we've had these discussions, some more heated than others. If you remember two years ago, the Harden-Russell Westbrook MVP debate was all the rage. Everybody was talking about it, all sorts of shows, all sorts of opinions, for what, maybe like from the All-Star break on. Like, it was a big conversation. Last year, maybe not as much, but the Harden, well, then Harden won his, and then Giannis won his last year, maybe three years ago was the Russell Westbrook one. But... This is now a conversation again. And on one hand, I don't want to now discount what Giannis has been able to accomplish this year. And I'm not ready to say that he's not leading this race. Right? I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, LeBron went ahead because of these last three weeks, whatever. But he now entered this actual argument, this actual discussion, with more games remaining than we all begged uh, or, like, you know, dare to realize. Right? There's like almost 20 games left in the season. That's a large portion of an 82-game season, right? So I'm happy that this is a conversation. I'm not here to give you hot takes that LeBron is now the front runner. It's his race to lose. But I am very on board with having this conversation and continuing to monitor it and give LeBron the chance to continue to progress throughout the season and perhaps pass him. But we also know this is super narrative-driven. Right? Who want who deserves this one? Who got screwed out of one a couple of years ago? Maybe they should get this one now. This might be LeBron's chance. Giannis has more chances to win in the future. All these things combine to lead media members to vote a certain way. So Frank, 
when you hear these MVP talks going on, hot takes there or not, what do you think about and how do you think the race is going thus far? So I just think about it historically. And usually when a guy wins it and then improves again the next year, they usually win it again. So I kind of agree with what you were saying about how I'm not really dethrone Giannis at all. But the LeBron story, we've kind of been talking about this whole podcast, age 35 season, uh, still there, never left. Like, just his versatility, ability to not shoot the three well and score almost 40 points, or his ability to have a night where he's shooting so well he can pull it from the logo. Like, uh, it's almost unfathomable how good he is at basketball. And the story is that this is going to get more interesting as it closes down, which is, I guess, pretty obvious thing to say. But um, I'm not going to discount LeBron at all. If he averages like, I don't know, 37 and 7 or 39 and 7, whatever he's at, um, that's a legitimate case for an MVP. He is having, Giannis is having the best season. And like you said, Frank, from last year to this year, he is definitely better. The Bucks have gotten better as a whole, or at least they're playing. Like all the pieces fit better. I think their growth, losing um, Malcolm Brogdon, like their ability to kind of sustain and even improve, is is a big um, to to Giannis incremental improvements, and then also Chris Middleton uh, making a jump, and then. Even Brooke Lopez playing worse, playing worse. Eric Bledsoe is playing better, and DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson, like all those guys, have gotten better. But for me, when I think about most valuable player, a lot of people make this mistake of like that. I would consider it a mistake. I mean, obviously the award—it's up to interpretation. But people say, you know, most valuable player. Who is the player that's most valuable to their team? I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think it's which player would be the most valuable on any team. So if you have this season and you're just kind of stubbing in and out, like if I move player A to team B and I move player B to team A, like I swap them, which team's better, which team, do they get better? Do they get worse? Is it the same? And that's where it gets murky. So like if you swap LeBron James onto the Bucks, are they better or are they worse? What do you guys think? Well, that's that's a good way to that's an interesting way to look at it because that's what reminds me that this is a regular season award, right? And so many times we allow ourselves to think of postseason success and what people did in past playoff matchups, and that's going to now cloud how we judge their next regular season, right? So we're not thinking about anything negative with LeBron's past because we all respect his past, right? Mm-hmm. especially last year with the injuries and the whatnot. So now we're thinking about LeBron this season moving to the playoffs, right? And we expect him to perform at a certain level in the playoffs. And in theory, that's helping media members feel more okay with putting him as the MVP this season. That is where it gets really cloudy for me. You have to try to look at this season alone. And based off your question, Duff, I'm saying Giannis is better because I'm not convinced LeBron would come out of the gates with that type of energy, even though he pretty much has with the Lakers, more or less. 
and want to win 70 games and want to win every night and dominate people by 12 points every single night. That's why I give the edge to Giannis. For this season alone, nothing aside, uh, nothing before, nothing after, trying to cloud my judgment, this season alone I give it to Giannis and what he's been able to do in 30 minutes a night, consistently dominating teams and winning by double digits. But what happens... To, so if you swap them though, what do you think? If you put LeBron on the Bucks and Giannis on the Lakers, what do you think happened? I think the records are just I think they're both still sick, obviously, and the records are flipped in Giannis's favor. So the Lakers are the team pacing the record and the Bucks are just behind. I think the Bucks are somehow even better. You think they're even better? Like I mean it's possible because if you think about the way the Bucks play, it is actually also made perfectly for LeBron James, except he's an even better passer and a better shooter. But does he have the, you know, un un like tireless maybe tireless energy and will to just continuously dunk on people's heads that Giannis has? Maybe that's the only thing he lacks right now is like that twenty eight year old energy. You know what I mean? I mean but straight up Giannis might be a better team. rebound. Like that that might be a thing. A better rebounder? Yeah. Yeah, sure, but that's one aspect. Yeah. But then offensively, LeBron's a better passer, a better shooter, and not as a good scorer at the rim, but, like, pretty damn close. But you I'm, know, tra- maybe I'm trying I'm... to allude to, like, who, who makes up that difference. Probably you know, Maybe LeBron. I'm wrong. I think I take that back. Well, also, Brooke, Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez on the low have been top-notch, top-five rim protectors this year as well, and they are two of the better box-out people in the league. So like rebounding wise for the LeBron led bucks in this hypothetical world we're speaking about, like I'm not worried because the Lopez twins do the dirty work. They don't need the numbers. Somebody's getting those rebounds. It does like Giannis is just, you know, the beneficiary. He's the Russell Westbrook in this situation. Yeah. yeah I was just throwing it out there. Cause it's the only thing I think they'd be worse at. Right. Um, I think you're right with the Giannis intensity. Like the Bucks probably still have a better record than if the, the Bucks would have a better record than if LeBron was on the Bucks. But if you move Giannis to the Lakers, and I think the supporting cast around LeBron and the Lakers right now is does not fit for Giannis. And it's I don't well, think it's I don't terrible. I don't think it really fits for anybody. If we're being completely honest, like. That's my point. That's yeah, my like, point. It, it, I, like LeBron <laughs> is the only player who can really make this team the second best, the second best team in the whole league, and like have it make sense. Like this team shouldn't really make sense. Like they have now they have Markeith Morris, so like sure, but like they have undersized wing guards and Kyle Kuzma. Like think of Dwight like that's Howard. what they have. <laughs> think of think of what uh, Dwight Howard on the Lakers is this year. Do you think he's the same thing if Giannis is on the Lakers? No. Do you think JaVale McGee is? Yes. You do? Yeah, I mean, except for the fact what? that JaVale's clog- clogging up the lane a little bit on uh, on Giannis. But yes, yeah, I think JaVale McGee has proven to be JaVale McGee, which is a nice rim protector and a good slasher who isn't an idiot, even though he is an idiot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he says, like, some dumb stuff and, like, does weird things on the floor sometimes. But, like, as a basketball player, he's not an idiot. And for some time, we all thought he was. For sure. I just think those guys are so kind of just one lane. Like, they're just slashers, they're rim protectors, dunk. 
you have to give him the ball on the one yard line if you expect him to score every time. Right. And LeBron does that. I don't think Giannis can do that. I don't think he can always put guys in the best position around him who are so limited. Like you think about Kuzma, Caruso. Like Kuzma, like he doesn't really even know what he's doing out there most of the time. Like a lot of times, he's a bad example. Because he doesn't know what he's doing all the time. But you think about the way that Caldwell Pope, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee have been maximized this season. That's kind of what I would attribute to LeBron, the way he kind of elevates your sense, where he can, like, by himself, he will rise the tide to lift all the boats. Giannis, I don't think, can do that yet. Well, it's sounding like me that you're leaning towards giving this MVP award to LeBron James, Duffy. Yeah, so let's let's cut and dry. Who are you giving it to, Pete? Right now, I'm still giving it to Giannis. I think he's done too much this year to have been passed up. Like, he didn't lose this. He didn't do anything to fall down, and all the climbing LeBron has done thus far has only gotten him to this point, to this conversation. He needs to finish strong. They need to win the close games. He needs to have another moment or two where he either you know dunks on somebody's head late in a game or hits a, a big shot, have one of those moments, those MVP moments, right? Um, Drew, he so, had one. Rihanna was asking about Hart. Did anybody take yeah. on Hart? <laughs> Josh Hart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I didn't see that, actually. <laughs> but uh, my, my pick's still going to Giannis, but I, I am not by any means ruling out LeBron's ability to make this his award. Duff, what do you say? I think P's right. I think Giannis has got him edged out at the moment. I mean, look, a week, two weeks ago, this conversation was done. Like, Giannis had it in the bag, no question. But after this last month, and particularly this weekend, LeBron has really kind of catapulted himself back into this conversation, and I appreciate that. And this is an award, and Pete, you alluded to it earlier, with Russell Westbrook James Harden in that year, I think it was 2017, 2016-17 season, when Russ won the MVP. That was a narrative MVP. People were like, oh, it's the triple-double, it's the triple-double. Guess what? The next year, Russell Westbrook, he averaged a triple-double, and he wasn't even in the conversation. Not even in the conversation. James Harden, sniff it. James Harden, and we know how we all know how I feel about this, should have at least two MVPs at this point in his career, possibly three. But we'll say two for now. Like now, he he's out. He's gone. He's done. He's not in this conversation. And right yeah. now, he's still the leading scorer in the league. He leads the league in win shares. He is on a team that is playing a ridiculous style of basketball, and he's putting up numbers. And granted, they've lost a couple of weird games in the past, like five, like five to seven days. But like, he's not even in the conversation. Now, granted, he'll be on the ballot because, like, he's going to be fourth or third or fifth on most people's ballots. But, like, people are going to now bring up Nikola Jokic. People are going to bring up... Um, who Kyle else? Lowry. Like, they're going to be reaching. Who else, yeah, who else is even... Guys that aren't going to make it. Who else is even there? Point, <laughs> like, yeah. My, my point by bringing up that year is that was a pure narrative MVP. If you look at the future and how we drive a triple-double next year, no one cared. It was because Kevin Durant left. Russell Westbrook stayed, first triple-double in forever. But the next year, they didn't care about the triple-double. So, you know, if it was really about the triple-double, he would have been won the MVP or at least been second. So my point is, this year, 
LeBron has a chance to use this narrative to his advantage and to really kind of grind it out the rest of the season. I mean, we'll see what the Bucks are going to do with Giannis. And he tweaked his knee in that game against the Lakers. He sat out tonight against the Nuggets. Right. So it was a like what if What if he out, sits out, out for two weeks for a rest and now right. making sure his injury is right? what if he right. sits out and LeBron doesn't? Yeah. What happens? That, that, that's the Carson Wentz situation right there because realistically, there's almost a quarter of the season left. Like, that is not a small amount of time, right? Carson Wentz was the go-away MVP the year he got hurt when Nick Foles ended up leading into a Super Bowl. I was like, why is he out now? He locked up the one seed for them and a bye because he was so freaking good. He was the runaway MVP. He misses four games, and now he's out, and I'm like, oh, well, four games is a quarter of a... NFL season maybe uh, there's yeah. a point there but like you know is it fair like what's the threshold I don't know Giannis has played 57 games if he ends up at 64 for some reason like is that enough I don't know that's uh, another part of this conversation that we'll hopefully not have to deal with but like is a thing um, yeah. Frank what's your pick and, and, and to your point about James Harden before like that him not being in the conversations is just so much to do with narrative as uh, Russell winning it because, but it's playoff narrative, not even regular season narrative. This is supposed to be a regular season award. And the reason Harden isn't even considered for it anymore is because of playoff performance. Right. And that's probably wrong, but that is what happens. And we are, here, we are here to tell you what is happening and why it's wrong. <laughs> that's why we're outside. Insiders would deny it. Outsiders face it. Exactly. So Frank, but, what's, what's your pick? Because we got to move on. Yeah. I'm going to come hot with it. Uh, Give me LeBron James. I'm tired of the super underappreciated uh, athlete. LeBron should have probably seven MVPs. He probably has like three of them or four of them, actually. He has four. Four. Uh, yeah, so LeBron deserves another MVP based on his whole career. And that's another year, like 35. Lakers, you know, they finished with that one seed looking all nice. I could see it happening. And... Just to that point about underappreciated. Uh, I'm going to defend my boy Russell Westbrook real quick. In, you know, 30, 40 years, when we don't see it done again, everyone's going to be like, you know, that was kind of cool. We didn't appreciate that for what it was. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. That's, that's no, why I'm sure the same thing happened the numbers. to, to – um, Whatever his name is, who did it before him, forgetting her name. Oscar, Oscar Robinson? Robinson? Yeah, Oscar Robinson. Like, yeah, but Oscar right. Robinson won a ring. So like it was it was like it was like you know did he win it that year. Got valued. No, he did not. But all right, so I, I, I don't disagree with you. It, it is really, really cool. It's in, incredibly impressive. Triple doubles yeah, have always been something that I was enthralled with because to me, as a young person, like learning about this game, you know, watching guys like Jason Kidd growing up. I'm like, damn, like, he does everything. Like, he's going to score only 18, but, like, he'll get 10 and 10. Like, that's sick. Like, I always wanted to play, like, a guy who was multifaceted and was getting triple doubles because he was that good of a passer and, like, that active. So, like, I, I respect it 100 million percent, but it is also a, a semi-arbitrary number because humans, like, round things, like, 10 and 100. Like, but realistically, James Harden averaging you know, more points and eight and a half assists shouldn't be the world of difference as to 
you know, oh, he averaged one more assist. Like, he clearly had a better season. That's where it gets frisky for me. But you're right. It was really it's cool. Like, it was it's really like cool. in baseball, right? Like, if a guy hits 70 home runs again, like, we might never see that. It's not as but cool as guys, 69 home runs. You see guys at 60. Young Carlos Sam hit 63, like, yeah, three no, years ago. We, years like, ago. we like round numbers. I understand. I get it. I like round numbers, too. But, like, when I'm in the car, you know, if I if I turn the dial on the volume and it lands on 13, I'm like, oh, snap, 14 or 12. What am I doing here? Got to pick a side. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, it's just you, what people do. You can't have Is your. 10, 10, and 10 better than 27, 7, and 7? Probably not. Right. It wasn't, and it was 35. One's a triple-double. No, uh, uh, double double. of course, of course, of course, Frank. But still. No, I'm not here for this. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, we have to move on. I mean, we could talk about this stuff for, you know, a, a hot minute. And I'm actually just stalling right now while I pull up the actual stats. Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, this was the stat line, the triple-double stat line that won Russell Westbrook, the, triple, the, the MVP. 31 points, 11 rebounds, 10.5 assists. James Harden was 29 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists. So, so pretty freaking similar, dude. And then when but you talk about... Huh? But less in each. Uh, more in assists, actually. So you're but two, point, points, you're two points on his assist on his uh, Russell Westbrook was changed by Harden, uh, Harden's extra assist. This is a dumb conversation we're having now. By the way, this is not dumb. Russell Westbrook... 85% from free throw his MVP season. Where the hell did that go? I don't know. Where the it's hell like did that go? It's, it's like a weird thing someone actually figured out. It's like they changed the rule where you couldn't like walk out of the circle when you were shooting free throws. Like that, no that way. Circle to the key. He used to walk to half court and back as like a rhythm thing. And once they cut that out and the rules that he couldn't do that anymore, his free throw percentage plummeted. That's insane. That's, that's just pure craziness that I just heard out of your mouth. I think that's like actually a cause and effect. For Literally, that. the next season he was seventy three percent. That's an insane. That's a twelve percent drop off on free throws for a professional. I really think that had a lot to do. With oh my lord! And then the next year no he was sixty five percent. What is going with the? Yeah. Sorry, we're All off right. track. We are off track. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Let's move on. We got to start wrapping up here. Yeah, let's 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 top start heavy, finishing top up. Heavy pod for the people. <laughs> um, but it was a top heavy weekend. You know, it was. It was it's a great weekend for elite elite NBA basketball. All right. Absolutely. All right. So to finish uh, it off. Take us. Yeah. Take us off. Duff. I I got a life comes at you fast award. The Draymond Green Memorial life comes at you fast. The winner this week, Kenny Atkinson, got fired from the Nets on Saturday, right over the weekend. What what happened there? Like life comes at you fast. Like he's he is personally, I thought he's you know top ten coach in the NBA. And all of a sudden, he's getting fired over the weekend, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the season after there wasn't, like, a huge blow-up with a player. Like, he was getting choked out by Latrell Sprewell. Like, I, what happened? I, I don't understand, guys. Wow, bro. That's crazy. That's so low. <laughs> That's not love. I had to cut it off. It's not love. love. Yeah, good That's cut. not love. That is simply um, just wow, this. Wow, about it. Um I did hear some hot takes about it. I mean, a lot of people, I guess, enamored Kenny Atkinson's X and O's. Um, more known as a player development guy. And as they're getting ready to step to next year, they, you know, 
want somebody who's going to help them win a title and they don't necessarily think Kenny Atkinson's that guy. You know, yeah, and you know what? When you phrase it that way, which Frank, I think it's a, a well done by you there. I don't, uh, I don't completely disagree. The way in which it happened was very, very weird. Like it happened yeah, out of the, the blue. Timing like, was off too. Like Karis LeVert just had these couple of big games, fifty points, and then a triple double. Right, and like you just didn't see it coming. A, B, this season is basically lost because of. Kyrie's injury and obviously Kevin Durant's injury and maybe the Nets are doing what the Sixers are still unable to do is take your development coach thank him for his efforts and send him on his way with his healthy contract and find the guy who's now going to flip your talented team into a cohesive talent super talented team right and maybe Kenny Atkinson isn't that guy but for it to go down like this was really, really strange, and I think just off-putting because of how it went down and came so far out of left field. So my initial reaction was like, wait, what? Like, why? Who? When? Where? Knicks? Call him right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> that was my initial reaction right there, and the more I thought about it, Frank, I think maybe they're thinking what you said, and I don't think that's dumb at all. I think it's kind of smart. But I yeah, still think there I was mean, more of like, for him to it? get it that went chance. Three out of four. Yeah, it was. There was more. Went three out of four. What? Fire him after the four games prior. They lost four in a row against the Magic, Wizards, Hawks, and Heat. Yeah, fire him after he loses to the um, the Raptors in round one in five games like that. Then fire him. What's the point? Like, what is your interim gonna do now with your two stars hurt anyway? Like, yeah. keep yeah, it, by keep the way, it moving. Coach, have fun in LA against the. Yeah, my counter to this whole thing would be that, you know, Kenny Atkinson never really had a sexy roster to work with, never a ton of talent, and he somehow kind of did find a way to win. I believe his career winning percentage is right around 40%. And, like, if you just look at the the Nets roster over the last, you know, over the course of his tenure, um, before those seasons began, you definitely wouldn't have predicted that he was at 40%. So if he can win with a little, uh, I'm sure there's a world where he can win with a lot. But I guess they weren't really willing to see that through. Yeah, life comes at you fast. There it is. Poor guy. But uh, I think he'll be – he'll, he'll, he'll get his, he'll get his uh, shot again. And you know what? If you're talking about the Knicks, which we're not going to go into right now super yeah, deep. Yeah, we kind of all saw it coming up. Yeah, he knew but he wasn't going to survive Kyrie and KD next year. Yeah, they want you know Ty Lue has been floated out there. I think that would actually be a good fit. I agree, but Knicks definitely give your boy Kenny a call. Just say what up. Yeah, is it weird if I want the Sixers to just like fire Kenny Atkinson right now? <laughs> I mean, I feel like that would almost be counterintuitive though, based off what we just said. I just do it. No, no, no. All right. Anyways, <laughs> I feel like they would be like great on the same staff together. Like I would love. Either one of them to be the head coach, and then the other as like. Well, they were on the same staff in San Antonio. I know, and and apparently they used to. San Antonio's big on like coaches playing in villages, so like apparently they used to like straight up run together. Oh yeah, I heard about this with James Borrego. Yeah, James Borrego interviews. So yeah, on Rosillo's podcast, they said Budenhoser, uh, Atkinson, Brett Brown, Borrego, and one other guy who wasn't like a head coach guy. And they used to run. They used to have like legit half court like battles. I would love to see it. 
I but, just think those two would complement each other so well. Or Atkinson is more kind of like X's and O's, really like rough around the edges, not friendly <laughs> with the players. And Brett Brown is not as good with the X's and O's. But everything you hear from players is like he's one of the best people I've ever been around. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you need that balance. Sometimes you do. Um, I got one more hot take. Oh, go bring quick. it, bring it, bring it. Uh, Kenny Atkinson and Quinn Snyder both look like Apple. Yeah, they both look like Brad Stevens went off the deep end and did crack for a couple <laughs> yeah. of years. Brad Stevens on a bender. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I've been saying that for years that Brad Stevens or uh, Quinn Snyder is Kenny Atkinson. I mean, sheesh, got all these people criss- crisscrossed over here. They're all the same. Quinn Snyder is Brad Stevens on crack. <laughs> no, just, just a steady diet of Adderall. Yeah, just a straight Adderall. <laughs> Facts. Anyways, we is there any more hot takes, Frank? Because we gotta we gotta close no, out. Soon. I got them off my <laughs> All right, <laughs> Sports Blog New York podcast. We're gonna get to our last words, but Pete Kennedy here, John Lucas Duffy, and Frank Villani. If you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from you guys. Uh, we got a shout out to do an NBA draft podcast. We haven't found the perfect time for it yet, but. I think we'll do it probably right around tourney time because we can use the tourney to talk about some of those players. So it'll be a good opportunity to uh, give the listeners something to look for in the tournament other than their brackets, which will be crumbled after a couple days. Some of those NBA stars in the works. Um, anyways, John Lucas Duffy, any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Yeah, I just want to use this opportunity to talk about the eight seed in the West. It's a really fun topic because... Everyone is hoping that the Pelicans get in and we get to see Zion to play a basketball. And they might get swept by the Lakers. They might. But it would still be really entertaining to watch. They played twice this year with Zion against the Lakers. And those were probably the two most fun games I'd watched this season, including this weekend with the Lakers against the Bucks and the Clippers. So I'm still hoping for that, but. Man, the Grizzlies are getting no respect, and I think they kind of just hang on here. No one's gained any ground since Zion came back, and I think the Grizzlies might hold on to this eight. Dude, Grizzlies had a little Josh Jackson this weekend. Actually, played well for them. You say Josh Jackson? Yeah, like the guy that the Phoenix Suns gave up on. Right. Well, Jared yeah, Jackson's yeah. hurt right now. Yeah, so he's the only Jay Jackson on the squad playing. Yeah, bro. Um, I want to throw a name into that ring there. What about the Sacramento Kings, Duff and Frank? Nah, dude. No, thank you. I would did rather see, see every see other Bane team yelling at Luke Walton. Yes, I was watching yes. that live. Actually, dude, I thought I was losing my my shit. I was like, this fan is coming across the broadcast clear as day. You can hear everything <laughs> he's saying, and he's just like, "You got the three point champion on the bench." Like, you're yo. an idiot, Luke. <laughs> that was insane. Luke, you're an idiot. But yo, they they've been kind of balling out lately. By the way, they lost. Uh, I mean, they um, lost to the Raptors tonight. No, that was last night. No, what day is it? Today's Monday. Yeah, they lost to the Raptors last night. Tough one. But they've they've been they've been putting together a little stretch. They beat the Clippers just over a week ago. Um, they beat Memphis a little less than a week ago. Like they're they're. They're coming around, and they're getting healthy now, too. So I think the Kings are sneaky. They're not as sexy as the Grizzlies or the Pelicans. But don't forget who the Darlings were last year. That was the Kings. I think we uh, I, th- I think we shouldn't sleep on the Kings. But here's the thing with the Grizzlies. 
if they get to 40, there's 18 games left for them and for the Pelicans. There's 18 games left. If the Grizzlies go 8-10, and 10, they get to 40 wins. I feel like I can't expect the Pelicans to go 12 and uh, whatever the other number is. <laughs> 12 and 6. We never said we were good at math. I usually am. It's, it's late. Uh, well, we yeah, like numbers, it's, it's just a, not math. It's a four-game. It's a four-game difference right now. The Grizzlies have a four-game lead on on the Pelicans. Eighteen games left to play. Not unheard of. It's not going to be easy though. Not going to be easy though. All right, uh, Frank. Any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Uh, no, we're good. I got mine out earlier. Kenny Atkinson and Quinn Snyder are the drunk uncles of the NBA. <laughs> there you go. My uh, my last words are going to go to my boy. Nikola Jokic, who is in shape and is dropping about 24, 11, and 7 on these fools since the new year turned. Uh, he's back. He is going to be a MVP ballot uh, person, I think. And I just really want to watch him and the Nuggets play their game in the playoffs. And I think if they get off to if they get to face the Rockets who are now the current six seed. I like the Nuggets a little bit. Ooh. I like the Nuggets a little bit. Just saying. I think I like. of all the teams to attack that small ball, the best guy who's a center, all the teams with centers, I should say, who like matter, obviously like LeBron, not going to, you know, he could attack the Rockets pretty easily. But Jokic is my center who can attack that better than anybody. So I'm expecting big playoff run out of my nugs. That's all I'm saying. Quick note, quick note on the 18 West. The Pelicans jumping the Grizzlies, definitely not ridiculous considering they play each other twice before March Ooh. over. Ooh. That's saucy right there. I'm be tuned in for Javers. That's, sa- that's going to be some must-see TV. That's saucy right there. That's good stuff. All right, boys. That's it. Sports Blog New York podcast, the NBA Outsiders edition. It is March 11th. We are coming close to playoff season. We are coming close to March Madness. We are coming close to baseball season. A lot of stuff to be talked about on the Sports Blog New York podcast. But for now, you just had me, Pete Kennedy, Frank Villani, and John Lucas Duffy, the NBA Outsiders, right here on the Sports Blog New York podcast.